The In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding. Welcome along to the latest In-Depth Podcast. I'm Richard Harding and I'm very pleased to welcome the President of the Committee for Home Affairs, Deputy Mary Lowe. Welcome to Ireland FM and the podcast. Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you for asking me. Now, first up, I always like to ask people about their lives before politics. So what were you doing before you got into this? Because you're the mother of the house, you're the longest serving politician. Indeed, yeah. So we're talking about 26 years ago before I was in the States. Um, Busy, very busy with uh, family life. We had two children. And um, also before I had the children, before we got married, I used to work in Lovells, which was a furniture shop in the... Smith Street. I was in the accounts there. So that's where I sort of started off. And then uh, we got married and um, had our two children. But I also, with a, a friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, we formed the Lamar de Cartier Swimming Club because we could see there was a niche there because not everybody's able to afford to go up to Beaux-Ajour at that time. Yeah. And it was extremely popular. So we, we taught children well, from babies up to adults who couldn't swim or could swim. Uh, and that was great fun. But unfortunately, I had to give that up when I was elected because you weren't allowed to be on the state's payroll or be involved with the state. So I had to give that up, which was uh, disappointing because I really did enjoy that. Um, and it was nice to see people progressing as well with their swimming. Um, and also before uh, life in politics, it sort of started in as much as that I was often sort of saying things when you'd read it in the press or you'd hear it on the radio and say, oh, I don't necessarily agree with that. So I started going uh, to the Vale Deputy Surgery of an evening. That was my outing with having a young family. <laughs> How sad is that, hey? No, I used to go with my husband, but, you know, it was uh, something that I was interested. So I used to go and attend because uh, they're very informal. And it was very interesting to hear the deputies and mixing with the uh, the Vale electorate and discussing the forthcoming BA and you could ask questions. It was very informal. And it took about uh, four or five meetings before I was brave enough to ask a question. And my first question I asked, I could hear my heart pumping in my throat. I was so nervous. and uh, But that was fine. And after a few more meetings... Uh, Deputy Owen Latisse, he came across to me and he said, had I ever considered standing? Because he said, I think you would be good and it would be worth coming into the States. You've got a lot to offer. And um, also, I don't think I'm good enough to stand for the States. And so with his encouragement, I wanted to do it, but obviously with his encouragement and letting me know a little bit more in depth of what was actually needed, discussing it with my family, because obviously you do need family support. Explained to our son, who was still at school at the time, he was 12, that, you know, you've got to be prepared that not everybody's going to like your mum and there'll be things in the paper all said. And, um, you know, I don't want them getting upset. If it was going to bother him, I wouldn't actually stand. And our daughter was a bit older, so she was out to work, but said it to both of them. Both of them were extremely supportive and said, you'll always be our mum. It doesn't matter what people say. You'll always be our mum and always love you, which was a lovely thing to say. So, yeah, I stood for the States and uh, I was lucky enough to get elected first time. And that was, just to remind us? That was in 1994, 26 years ago. My goodness. Yeah, indeed, yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> now, as, as well as being the mother of your, your children, you're also the mother of the house, the longest serving deputy. You must have seen quite a few changes over the years. Mm. Uh, you know, what was the states like then compared to now? And, and uh, what events stand out in your time? It's completely different, um, a lot different. I mean, there used to be 57 members at that time in the States, and we're now 38 members and, and two ordinary reps. So it's changed considerably. Um, certainly there were a lot of people in the States. Out of the 57, I used to do statistics, I quite like statistics. Out of the 57, there were 45 who had other jobs. Either they ran businesses or they worked as the late Deputy Eric Waters. He worked for... Um, 
on the tankers for Shell. Mm. I remember and him, yes. Yeah, everybody yeah. remembers Eric. He was yeah. lovely. And he was full-time, but he was uh, on the tankers. But again, he was able to have the flexi hours. And there was another deputy who worked for the press. He was able to have flexi hours. So it, the States was seen as 45 of you were out there uh, in the community working or running businesses. And there were only 12 who were full-time deputies. Interesting, when they put the pay up, because in those days you had to claim, and your spouse's income was taken into consideration. Yes. So it meant you couldn't earn. I, I couldn't be paid if I'd wanted to, because my spouse, my husband's income, was taken into consideration. So means means tested in it the way. It was means tested. Yes. It was very much means tested. <laughs> um, but then they changed it, and they changed it. They start paying states members, and it was interesting. You saw a complete reverse of almost identical numbers, where it was just in the low forties where there were no other jobs involved and uh, and it was only around 12 or 14 that had businesses all out there working in the community. Mm. Um, which, again, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you look at statistics. It's interesting when you look at the ages as well of the different ones that stand because uh, they, when they said they wanted to pay states and members more, it was to bring in uh, more younger people. In actual fact, it went the other way when you look at the stats and it's still uh, that way, really. So, yeah, lots of changes during my time. Lots of committees as well back then. Yeah, I've sat on loads of committees and we had lots of committees too. There were around 30 really uh, committees. There were a few more, but they were just once a year type committees and they were graded. Advisory and finance was at the top and that was sort of a grade A. And then there were grade B uh, committees. There was about four of those, which included health, social security and different ones like that. Then you'd get uh, grade C would be children board and, and breaking it down further again. So quite a few committees. And of course there were annual elections to go, sit on those committees. So it meant that if you know you weren't happy on that committee and it wasn't for you when you first got elected, you had that opportunity to come off. And equally there'd be two each year that would have to stand in front of the states and they could either keep their seat or somebody would challenge it who wanted to actually swap roles. Um, which was good because it gave states members a lot more experience and they mixed a lot more together than the current system that we've got once you're on that committee that's it you know and it's uh, it's starting afresh which slows the system up because you always had some form of continuity previously where now new committees start on the day you're elected you know when you've got sworn mm. in and, and it takes a long time to get up to speed doesn't it, it? Does, half the term it does. really yeah. yeah it does and I, I think it can be quite frustrating for the staff because they have to go over so much again and, and of course you can't move forward very much because you have to uh, teach so many people what it's all about but yeah so it's there have been lots of changes Lots of changes in the structure. Um, lots of firsts for me. So I was the first mother of the house, which is a nice thing to do uh, and to be. Um, I was the first woman leading Social Security in its 80-year history when I became Minister of Social Security. Uh, and I was the first one to get the uh, drug bill down when I was on Social Security, working with the doctors and using generic drugs rather than the branded names with lots of incentives that came with that. Yeah, it's a huge, huge uh, reduction in price. Yeah, yes, yes. So yeah. I mean, when you saw some of the packets as well, you'd be paying £48 for a brand and it was sort of £1.20 mm. generic. It mm. was a massive difference. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, quite interesting and a lot of hard work, but it was lovely working with the doctors and trying to achieve to get that down and to sell that to the public. It is the same drug. It's analysed. It's everything the same in it. It's just you haven't got the fancy brand on the front. Mm. So that's, that was a good move. Um, and again, part of Mother of the House, uh, there are a few privileges which, is, which I'm very honoured to do. And one of those is laying the wreath each year at the Remembrance Sunday because that's very important mm. for me and our community. My family stayed here during the war. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there are lots of other families that still do in the indigenous population. It means a lot to us. So it's a huge honour to lay the wreath on mm. front for the states. And this term, I've sat in the uh, in the chair presiding over the states uh, when the bailiff has had to leave the room for half an hour. Or How did that long. feel? Uh, very good. It's a, again, it's a huge honour, isn't yeah. it? Um, but it is part of, as mother of the house, your acting presiding officers. There's three acting presiding officers and it goes by your term. So I'm the only one that's been in the States 26 years. John Gollop is after me. He's 23 years. And then Deputy Roffey is after that. Or it might be Deputy Roffey and then Deputy Gollop. I'm not sure which way around it is. Um, so if I can't sit in the chair because I'm unable to, it would be uh, one of the others. So there's the three of us. Well, yeah, great, a great privilege. And yeah, a funny feeling, actually, when you're sitting there in the big chair <laughs> and not being able to contribute, which is fine. Silences me for quite a while. <laughs> uh, and making sure the rules are applied. Uh, yeah, it's great. Good. Now, coming bang up to date, um, the HM Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Services, they were back in the island at your request. Um, yes. Now, the, the report, you know, was critical in some areas. Um, so have they given you any feedback and uh, what's what's the latest on that? Yes, they came last week um, at our request, as you say, and that was to follow up on all the areas for improvement and the recommendations. And... Um, the feedback that we had towards the end of it, they were very pleased with what they'd actually seen. Um, a lot had happened and they were very, um, we'll wait and see what the report says, but they were pleased and gave us good messages. And mostly still areas, we're not going to be able to do it in that period of time. There'll always be some areas that are going to be ongoing. You can't just cut off security and that's it done. You know, that's got to always be reviewed and, and continued and that's uh, that's good. So, yeah, and we've also put in at Home Affairs um, since I've been in post and my committee supported that, that we do a rolling programme because these reviews were not taking place and it's not good. You really should have somebody coming in and looking at you. So next year we've got probation in the prison. So we've got a programme in place now and the year after it's the fire and rescue. Um, and the, yeah, so it's good to have. Are there any particular changes you you brought in so far? With regarding uh, with regarding th- you know issues that they they brought up in the report. Yeah, I think we've sort of covered just about all of them really of the review of the um, recommendations. So the protocols in place um, work extremely well with law enforcement. We've got a good working relationship with them, and. Uh, and indeed with the rest of the staff across Home Affairs, to be fair. But it's uh, it's very helpful. I just think it's healthy. Um, you know, if if we wanted an all-fluffy, all-singing and dancing one, I'd write it. Mm. You know, I just want somebody from outside to look at us and say, have you thought about this? Or you could do it this way. Have you considered that? Um, and that's how it should be. And these are people, that, the experts from the UK, who are dealing with this, and that's that's what they do all the time. And so I'm pleased that they actually decided to accept the invite to Guernsey because we're not actually covered as such. They are part of the UK and, and everything else. So mm. um, it's good to have them over. Now, earlier this year, policy and resources called for your resignation over allegations of bullying and harassment. How did you feel when, when they made those comments? Well, to me, it was personality politics at its best. Um, I've never in my 26 years seen a state like this one, uh, sadly. I do think there's a lot of personality uh, clashes and there's a lot of infighting, whereas if only that energy was being put into doing what's best for Guernsey and the bailiwick. Um, but, you know, uh, for me, I, mean, I was guilty without uh, having any evidence. I asked for evidence. Uh, they weren't prepared to give it. And so if you went to court, you wouldn't be pleaded guilty until you actually had the evidence put before you. But policy and resources thought that's OK. We're just going to make you guilty and you're going to resign. 
asking me to resign. Well, so judge and executioner. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's not the way to behave. Equally, you know, where were they with a, a vote of no confidence? Where were they taking me to the code of conduct? You know, none of that has happened. And yet we still get the rhetoric every now and then, which is really a bit of a distraction. But, I, you know, I just let it go over my head because I've got a job to do. And if it was that bad, the states and others would bring in a vote of no confidence. And that hasn't happened because, you know, we've got on with the work, <clears throat> work we need to do. And we just need to stop this, this well, yes. unnecessary criticisms because mm. I don't think it's a distraction that's not needed. We've work to do. We've serious work to do. Huge changes next year, um, the island-wide uh, election. Um, do you think, you know, how do you feel about that first thing? Do you think it could uh, risk destroying the parish connection? No, I mean, I've stood in island-wide and been elected island-wide. So I was elected in island-wide in 1997. So, and that included Alderney voted for me as well. Um, I see it as a plus. It's going to be a bit difficult and it's going to be have to be some changes and recognising that... States members still, I believe, should be involved with their parish. Um, when I was a concert, elected to concert back in 1997, I asked the, the uh, Vale if I could still attend the design meetings. I asked if I could still go to the Vale deputy surgeries because it was important for me, although I was representing the bailiwick and um, it was important for me that I had that opportunity. I also offered to go to some of the other parishes if they would like me to go along. I would be happy to do so. Uh, but you've got it currently, and it's happened the last two, possibly three terms, not every parish has actually got somebody in the States. So there's this concern about, well, my parish or my district won't be represented. Because when we went from parish to districts, that did actually happen, where we had two parishes but no longer had somebody living in the parish. And, and you would know, Richard, over the years, and it still happens, even in our current states, there are states members there who do not live in the district. No. But they stood. Mm. Um, you know, so it's almost a bit of a fallacy, really. The island is nine by five. It's not a, a big island. It's easy to find out from somebody who they are. Um, equally, it's been said before, well, what about the newbies? You know, they're disadvantaged. I say the island's small. That's not a case. If you look back at other elections, there are there have been experienced states members who lost their seat to a newbie. And now I accept that's in parish and it's going to be different island-wide. But nevertheless, so I think because the island is so small, it's going to be easy to find out about somebody. Um, and the hostings, I've got a view on the hostings as well. Tell me. <laughs> I will, I will, the hostings. I've sat at seven hostings in all my time. And they're always very interesting because they're actually an advantage, they are an advantage for a newbie. Now, why do I say that? Because you're lined up in a row and you all have turns of answering the question first, and then it goes down the line. Well, fine if you're one of the experienced ones that answers first. By the time you got down the line to the third or the fourth one, you can see the audience, <coughs> excuse me, how they're, how they're reacting. So a new one now picks up, mm, the audience didn't like that. Oh, and I didn't know this. I've now got something that I can add to it and perhaps go down a different route than they might have done before. So I think there's an advantage for newbies sitting in a hostings. And those speaking first. And those speaking first. No, well, no, if, fact, no, no the no, other way around. No, no. Those speaking yeah. later. Mm. Yes, when they had a chance to take the temperature yeah. of the, no, the indeed, room. Yes. Indeed, and if yes. you've got a question that comes to a newbie first, more often than not, they'll say, well, I don't know enough about it, yes. but I'll be able to find out about it if I'm elected. And that just shows that, you know, if they were further down the line, they've actually picked up that. And when you look at the veil, 
which is one of the biggest. There are around 200 that come. So you sit and you analyse the audience and you sort of think, right, well, those are family and friends of that candidate. These current states members who have come to have a look to see who's standing. And you've got other candidates that are standing in other parishes or districts who come to see the type of questions and the answers so that will help them for when it gets to theirs. And I think the last one, I sort of looked at it and I thought there's probably about 50 out of this 200 and out of the few thousand that will actually be voting on the day. Whereas in the Vale, and I, I, it was about uh, four elections ago, I made the suggestion that we have, apart from the hostings, we have a pop-in on a one-to-one. So we had tables with one-to-one, so there was no line-up, and the electorate could come in. They could speak to anyone that they wanted to on a one-to-one. So there was no earwigging to be able to find out what was said to get any advantage. (laughs) Uh, And they were very popular, and now we have around three extra to the hostings because people like those. They like to come in and, and speak to the individual. Because also there's people that don't necessarily like, like asking questions at a hostings. They're a bit embarrassed to ask it. Well, they can come and ask the candidates on a one-to-one. What's being proposed by SAC is absolutely brilliant, I think, because you can then go and talk to whoever you want to ask those questions and you can find out, look them in the white of the eyes and see exactly what they mean mm-hmm. and what they're saying about the question that you've asked. So in many ways more personal. Absolutely right, mm-hmm. yeah. And of course, we've lost some really good candidates over the years by having the districts and the parishes because, you know, there was one particular parish and the Vale was one as well where we had, I think it was 10 or 11 for five seats. There were some good people there. They didn't get elected with nearly 2,000 votes and yet we had other districts who were coming in with 600 and, and they were good business people that would have been a huge asset to the states. Well, when you've got island-wide, it should be the top 38 out of all the candidates. Mm-hmm. Now, what have been the challenges of running the Committee for Home Affairs? A big mandate. Yeah, a very big mandate. Um, I guess the challenge, the top one has to be Brexit for us. I mean, it's still a front runner and will be after after what's happened in the UK as well. So that's going to be ongoing. Uh, Keeping our community safe and secure has to be at the very top as well because if we haven't got an island that's safe and secure people aren't going to want to live here they're not going to come and do business here and they're not going to want to come and be on holiday here so it is important and it's something we have to keep our eye on all of the time uh, the other thing that we've got is the uh, justice policy we've gone out and carried out a large review because justice people think of justice as the policeman on the street it's hugely bigger than that and the report will be um, at the february states meeting and it's very big a big report it's very encompassing and there'll be a a lot of work to do for that in the next term uh, to follow that through but we're taking it to the states as a green paper so it means what we mean by that is we're there to listen because it should be a states policy the justice policy it shouldn't be just home affairs it's cross committee and rather than just um work with the other committees there are some of those states members who aren't on those committees so it's important they have an input so we're taking it's a green paper so they can have their say in the states as well and then we'll listen to what's being said and we'll go back and prepare a report now what do you think are the biggest uh, political challenges um, facing the island over the next few years Ooh, i think um would brexit will still be there because it will be how it affects our economy and and the fallout from that as well the uh Keeping ourselves within budget and being sensible, um, getting rid of the the areas where it might be nice to have, but actually is it needed? 
I know the people, the public get absolutely very frustrated when they see some of the expenditure around the island. If we've got traffic lights that are suddenly there or bits of tarmac that are there, when they're having to pay more for bills coming in through their door, start prioritising what is really essential to this island rather than a nice to have or a need. And I think that need, the focus needs to get back onto that, uh, and we need to do what we can with with savings. Uh, stop spending money unnecessarily, looking at budgets a lot more and, and seeing other things that the states currently do that they could actually not do in future. Uh, working with agencies and partnerships, those are certainly the way forward. But of course, with any of these partnerships, you also have to err on the side of caution because it depends what sort of partnership you've got. Because at the end of the day, the state's members are the accountable ones to the public. It'll be the likes of yourselves that'll be putting a microphone and sort of saying, well, why did you do that? Or why aren't you doing that? You can't just say you've handed it over to an agency. It affects our island. So it's getting the balance right in those sort of areas as well. Now, the bailiwick security policy, um, what is that exactly and, and how's that going to, to keep us all safe? I quite like that one because uh, at the end of the day, if I was to tell you our security policy, oh, we wouldn't have it, would we? Because yeah. I'd be telling the public exactly what our risks are. Um, so I think we have to be a bit uh, sensible on that one. Of course, mm. we've got, a, um, you know, we take security extremely seriously. Uh, that's part of Home Affairs and Law Enforcement's remit. Um, I'm also a member on the Civil Contingencies Authority as Home Affairs, and we have the risk register there. So we um, that's reviewed continually. I mean, risks are looked at daily. It's not something new that we've suddenly got. We need to be having a new strategy and going forward. But you do have to be careful. Um, I know we faced this in the States last week. You know, what were our vulnerabilities and how are we going to handle them? Well, I'm hardly going to turn around and say, oh, such and such is going to happen. Oh, and we'll have da 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 standing on the roof, you know, with a sniper. No, I don't think it. You know, you just cannot. There's certain things you cannot put out there publicly. But are you working in tandem? with the UK do they alert you to oh, things? absolutely yeah. right yeah no uh, and uh, and beyond that as well there's very much um, collaboration between UK and beyond there has to be that's what security is all about and and it would be lovely to be able to say a lot more on security of what they actually do but you just can't do those sort of things because your security's gone if you do that now, outside politics, uh, what do you do to relax? Of course, you're, you're very well known as, as a uh, number one fan of Guernsey SC, at seventh on the table. You must yeah. be very pleased about that. Yeah, it's going well at the moment. Um, yeah, so I'm a seasonal ticket holder for GFC. Also go to other local football matches, not as many as I'd like to. It's just never always have enough time. Um, family at the top of my list for relaxing. Uh, got a great family, a very supportive family, and we go out quite a bit as well, which is nice as a family. Um, short breaks and holidays, I think you need those. So weekend breaks, I'm inclined to do. Many of them are sporting things, so it might be going to Formula One or it might be going to darts at the Ali Pali or the O2 or it might be going to the snooker at the Crucible and at yeah. the O2. Were you sporty at school as well? No, not at all. Just enjoy spectating? Yeah, I think it's yeah. my husband converts me a lot to sport, really. Um, <laughs> and I enjoy spectating, definitely do. So, yeah, those are good. And, and having breaks, I think it's good to get a short break. I mean, you can't beat going to home. I love yeah. going to home for a weekend or a few days. Go across to Alderney, go across to Jersey, go across to Sark. Make sure we do those a couple of times a year as well. Um, 
preferably for two or three days, if not even just a day. You know, we do that and it's good to get away. I'm always surprised the number of, of Guernsey people who've never been to Alderney. Um, and uh, it's well worth checking it out. Isn't I it? love Alderney. Yeah. I just love going to Alderney. And of course, because I represented Alderney back in 1997, there's still an awful lot of people that I know. So when you go over there, it's nice to see people that know you and you can have a good chat and see how they're getting on and what's happening. But I'm a huge supporter of Alderney and, and unfortunately in this state, we don't necessarily see that. There's a bit of friction between Alderney and Guernsey, but I think it's a bit short-sighted. I think Alderney do have a bit of a rough deal, especially with the airline and, you know, not having a proper boat. But the, the little ferry that they used the last two seasons, I don't know if you used it at all. It's mm. brilliant. I mean, we use that a few times each year. Excellent. We had to have calm seas for the sea, for the trip up to Alderney, though, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do, you do. And we click lucky, I guess, each time we've yeah. been. But no, I think we are so fortunate. I mean, we go back, my husband and I, a few generations in Guernsey, and I, you can't beat it. I mean, I've travelled all around the world and you just can't beat Guernsey. It's the life for me. It's island life. Not everybody likes island life. They find it restricted when they come over here. Uh, but it's it's good. It's Your children have been brought up in a nice, safe environment. Um, there are people that will sort of will perhaps run down, you know, states this, states that. Well, actually, look outside of Ireland, and we do have a good community here. And it's not perfect. It will never be perfect. But I think try and find somewhere else that's as good as what we've got here. Finally, do you plan to stand again in the election next year? And if so, would you like to continue in the same role? Yes, I do intend to stand uh, next year. And um, yes, I would very much like to have the same role because uh, the experience that I've got as a states member per se, but especially on home affairs with Brexit, which is key and all the all that encompasses and the justice policy, which I'd like to see through. Uh, I'd definitely like to try and get back on home affairs if I was elected and continue helping people in our community. Because for me, that is one of the best parts of the job whether that would be when I was fighting Guernsey Electric for the, the residents there, which took two years and ended up they bought their houses, or whether it was getting involved with uh, planning when I was first elected. I had a big, huge map on my wall in my office at home, a Perry's map, and I put pins in different areas of where I was uh, helping people across the island. And I had over 300 in the end, and there were just too many that I had to take it down uh, because I couldn't fit in all the rest of the pins uh, on, the, on the map. But, you know... Um, IDC in those days it was not a good it was not a good committee so thankfully with different things that I've taken to the states we now have site notices we now have 21 days where you can actually send in uh, opposition if you wish to go in it's changed considerably they will now see you as well and help you and give you advice of what to do uh, so those are the nice things that you think that's helping people. That's uh, for me. Sometimes it's just a phone call where people ring you up and they just don't know what to do or who to speak to. You can either give them a name and they'll phone up that particular person and they'll ring back and they'll say, oh, thank you so much. That was just so much easier than I thought. Or I offer to do it for them and get back to them or I'll offer to go with them uh, to a committee um, if they need to go to a reception, wherever they need to go to and help with them. Uh, and that's that's so rewarding because it might be so simple to me, but it's major to the person that you're actually helping. And you must never lose sight of that. You know, when you cross the threshold in the Royal Court, going into the state's building, never lose sight of who actually put you there. I always say to the to the members, whether they're on, whether I've been president, chairman, minister, I've got all the titles. I've always said to them, you know, you're not answerable to this committee. 
You're not answerable to me. You're not even answerable to the states. You're answerable to the electorate that put you there. Never lose sight of that. Never feel pressured if you want to vote differently to the rest because that's your duty to do that, that you can have a clear conscience of a night time. You've done what you think is appropriate uh, for the bailiwick and our community. Coming from the UK, I, I, I'm struck by this, that how accessible deputies are and how accessible government is when you know, you've know got one MP covering a huge region in the UK, but it is extremely accessible. Christmas is coming. Yes. Um, what are you planning for Christmas? And, and any thoughts for, for the island and for your, for your parish over the, um, over the Christmas New Year period? Yeah, indeed. Well, it's family Christmas for us, um, which is great. I mean, our family all live on the island. In fact, they live very close to us, so we don't even have to use the car to go and see them and for them to come and see us. So it's lovely. Looking forward to Christmas with the family. Um, Last week in the States, as mother of the house, I wish the bailiff and the lieutenant governor a happy Christmas. But I always make sure I wish uh, the 5,000 plus states employees. Many of those will have to work over the Christmas period. And and I think it's incumbent of me to actually thank them for what they've done through the years. They get criticism as well from the public and sometimes it's just unfair. They can't speak out and say that. So I think it's always best to remember our staff uh, over the Christmas period and, and thank those for what they've done during the year and thank those who are working over Christmas. Uh, the parish themselves and indeed the rest of the community, I just wish everybody a very happy Christmas and a very peaceful New Year and hope everything goes well for all of you. Merry Christmas, uh, Mary, and uh, thank you very much for coming in and joining us on Island FM. Thank you very much for asking me. You've been listening to the In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding.